If you have your Bibles, would you turn, just following on from last Wednesday, Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 23, Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 23. And when you get there, if you would, please stand to your feet. I want us again to read uh, God's word together from verse 23 uh, through to verse 25, just to honor the word of God tonight as we as we read God's word together. We could all lift our voices together to read it. Just once everybody's there, then uh, we stand to your feet tonight and we'll honor the reading of God's word, Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 23 uh, through to verse 25. Praise the Lord. I believe everybody's there. Amen. Let's read together tonight, Hebrews 10, 23. Let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering, for he is faithful that promised and let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another, and so much the more as ye see the day approaching. And everyone said, Amen. Let's take our seats together. Last week we took a bit of time going through these few verses on forsaking not the assembling of yourselves together. And understanding uh, from Scripture here that we know living in the days that we are living and approaching the great day of the Lord, that we are encouraged through God's Word and instructed as God's people that we are not to meet the less, but we are indeed to meet uh, the more. And so we know we come together as the body of the Lord Jesus Christ, as He has taught us. And we also know and looked at it last week that the spirit of the age, which was uh, already operating at the birth of the church and now is increasing in the last days, the spirit of Antichrist will specifically have an agenda against the church of Jesus Christ. But we know that he will build his church, praise the Lord, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Thank God tonight we're on the winning side. We're on the victory side. We can't lose for winning, praise the Lord. The Lord is in control. And so we see, if you just look at those words, the assembling of ourselves together. What, what, a, 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 what a scripture in the midst of what we're living in in this present day that the Lord is instructing his people to assemble themselves together. Now, you, you'll probably notice over the last few weeks, different announcements being made by different uh, religious organizations and leaders. And so for many, the closing down of the assembling of the people of the Lord, whether it be here in this land or wherever nation that is across the world, from a religious point of view, it really won't make any difference to them. But for those that truly have and see and understand from God's point of view what the gathering of the people of the Lord really is all about, then this means something that's precious unto us. For many, the gathering of a religious activity is no more than just a, a business venture or possibly a social gathering or it's just another organization. But we understand tonight that this is the body of the Lord Jesus Christ. And he is, he is the head of the church. You know, during the week, some of you may have got someone sent me the link to you. And I did listen to it. But the preacher, the black preacher in America, the bishop who said that the church 
should apologize to the authorities because we have made ourselves non-essential. We have made ourselves that. But you know, whether the world think it or they don't think it, or whether governments think it or they don't think it, but the church, I'm talking about the assembly of God's people, is essential to meet together in the days in which we're in it. This gathering and every gathering like it all across this land tonight is absolutely unique. It is absolutely unique. It is spiritual and its primary function is as the body of Christ, knowing that he is our living head. The head of the church of Jesus Christ is Jesus himself. And there is a uniqueness in the gathering of the people of the Lord. There is a uniqueness when as individual members, every part essential and vital come together into a building like this or whatever type of building that may be. But as they come together in the name of Jesus Christ with every part and every function that they come together, knitted together in the love of God with Christ being our head and the Holy Spirit in the midst and the love of God demonstrated in our hearts one to another. There is no other organization or gathering of people like this on the planet tonight. This is absolutely and totally unique. The Bible says, if you turn over into Ephesians chapter 4, Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 15, again, just looking at the gathering of the people of the Lord as the assembly of God's people. Ephesians 4 and 15 says these words, Ephesians 4 and verse 15, that we're to speak the truth in love, that we may grow up into him in all things. And then Paul writes these words, which is the head, even Christ, from whom the whole body fitly joined together and compacted by that which every joint supplies according to the effectual working in the measure of every part. That simply means tonight, and again, I know I've been stressing this, but I want to continue to stress it. It has been such a precious thing in these Wednesday night meetings over the last several weeks to hear so many bringing into this house and inputting into the body of Christ the part that they have to play through prayer, through praise, through thanksgiving, through song, whatever that may be. But that is the body of Christ coming together to onto its living head, Jesus Christ. And we have been encouraged through that. And I want to encourage you to continue. Don't just step in for one week and then step out again and go back to where you were. But I encourage everyone to enter in, to pray, to give thanks, to praise, to encourage. It is such an encouragement to the body. Would you say amen if if you've been encouraged through that? It's been so encouraging. And I want to continue to encourage those to come out and to pray and to seek the Lord and to give the Lord thanks. So every joint supplies according to the effectual working in the measure of every part maketh increase of the body unto the edifying of itself in love. In other words, the body becomes strong. It is strengthened. It increases. It grows when the body meet together like this and every part begins to function. So you see how essential it is for the church of Jesus Christ 
to meet together. It is essential that we come together. It doesn't matter about the building. The word church has been played on that it is the building where we meet. But the church is the assembly of God's people under that living head, which is Christ. It could be in a barn. It could be in a tin hut, as many of us experienced out in the mission field. Those places, a corrugated tin hut with an earth floor, but God's people come together in that place. And the Holy Spirit, the same Holy Spirit, is in that corrugated tin hut. The same love of Christ is shed abroad in their hearts. Jesus is still the living head. He's not concerned by the outward appearance but where people are met together in the name of Jesus unto him shall the gathering of the people be that's the uniqueness of the assembling of the people of God and so if Christ being the head of the church where do we receive our directive or our instruction from even in the days in which we're living it must be from the head And how do we find that out? Through his word. We find our directive, our instruction of how we're to live in this hour through the word of God. The supreme authority in all matters concerning the life of a Christian and the life of the church is found in God's word. That's why we honor his word. He has even honored his word above his name. So we honor the word of God even in the days in which we're living in. So regardless of the political dimensions and the political activity of our day, which we know there's a whole political agenda and movement here, there and everywhere. But our directive doesn't come through politics. It doesn't come through who is in in number 10, or who is going to be in the White House, as much as we're to pray for godly leaders, because that will benefit us as a society. But our directive comes from the Word of God and from our living head, which is Jesus Christ. Whatever happens in the political world, we must know, we'll see it in a moment, but the whole political system and the kingdoms of this world have been infiltrated by a Babylonian spirit. It's an antichrist spirit. So if we're looking to number 10 or we're looking anywhere for how we're going to live our lives, you're going to come into a place of despair and despondency and disappointment, but you'll never be disappointed with Jesus. You'll never be despondent with his, his, his purpose for your life. Thank God tonight in all these things, the Bible tells us all things are working together for our good to them that love the Lord and are called according to the purpose of God. Everything's working together for good, friend. But if you're looking at that, and if you're looking at this, you know the despondency that's going to come into your life. There is a spirit of lawlessness that is being now unleashed across the nations of the world. The Bible has warned us of these days that are have come, not 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 that are are going to come, but they're already here. And that's the mystery of iniquity that is already working presently in this age. But thank God tonight that we're not going to be dictated to by this Babylonian spirit that's all around us. We're going to live our lives for Jesus and we're going to look up for our redemption draweth nigh. 
Our eyes are upon him. And so we see in all of these things that Jesus explicitly told us that this world is not our home. In John chapter 18, if you turn to it for a moment, John chapter 18 and verse 36, this is what Jesus said concerning the kingdom of this world. Jesus answered, John 18, I'll wait till you get there, John 18 and verse 36. John 18 and verse 36. Jesus answered, said these words, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, then would my servants, what would they do? They would fight. Friends, listen to me. In all of what has taken place in this world, there are natural instincts that are within us that could very easily persuade us or influence us in that which is the natural, the fleshly. We see the injustice. We see the things that are taking place in our world. And in our natural man, we see that that is wrong. We know that it's an injustice. But our kingdom's not of this world. If it was, Jesus said, my servants would fight. But listen, friends, we are not here to fight with fists and feet, but we are here on our knees to pray against principalities and powers. That's our warfare. My kingdom's not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, then my servants would fight that I should not be delivered to the Jews. But now is my kingdom not from hence. In other words, my kingdom's not of this world. Brothers and sisters, we're part of something that's going to last beyond all the kingdoms of this world. His kingdom shall know no end. And we will reign with him forever and ever and ever. Brothers and sisters, do not be entangled with the affairs of this world. We have been liberated by the power of Jesus Christ. We have a completely different agenda. It's the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's the cross. It's the blood of Jesus. There's a hope. There's a faith. There's a joy unspeakable and it's full of glory. And so that's the kingdom that we're a part of. Now regardless of the leader that we have, We have a Christian duty, of course, to honor those that are in authority. Now, I'm going to enter into probably a place that can be be seen as controversial. But with Scripture is clear on these things. We have a duty as believers to honor those that are in authority. We are told that in Scripture. If you turn over to Romans uh, chapter 13 and verse 1. So we have a duty as believers, not only to pray for those in authority, but also to honor that authority that has been set in place by God himself. And Paul writes in Romans 13 and verse 1, he says these words, Let every soul be subject unto the higher powers. He's speaking of authorities and governments. For there is no power... There is no kingdom of this world, what he's saying here, but has not been set there by God. Kingdoms rise and kingdoms fall, but God has given them and put them in their place by his sovereign power. The powers that be ordained of God, verse 2 says, Whosoever therefore resisteth the power resisteth the ordinance of God, and they that resist shall receive to themselves damnation. I want you to listen carefully. 
Here we see that there is a sovereign, almighty God who is above everything, and by his sovereign power, he permits kingdoms to rise and kingdoms to fall. He boots them there. They are placed there, and largely this is speaking, of course, largely those governments are in place for our good. They should be there for our good. They should, they're not always that, but they're supposed to be there for our good. We're witnessing that authorities don't always get these things right. And what happens is then the world is plunged into absolute anarchy and chaos. But we are to pray for those authorities. We are to pray because they have laws that are to help us. They are good for us. Laws are good for us. Speeding laws are good for us. All the different aspects of laws and the preservation of law, the prevention of crime, it's good because largely this government that we're a part of, this nation has built its laws upon God's word. And so it has been a good thing that those laws that have been embraced by our government and put in place, we know it's a good law that you should not kill someone. Where did they get that from? God's word. It's a good thing that you shouldn't lie or bear false witness. That's a good thing. It's a good thing that you shouldn't take another man's wife. That's a good thing. And so we see that the laws are in place and they're for the good of society. We see there in verse 4, For he is the minister of God to do thee good. In other words, the reason that government is there in God's eyes For God's purpose is that it would be good for the nation. They don't always get that right. There's governments all across this world at the minute that are failing terribly. There are people. And so we see the nations are plummeting into hell because of that. But if thou do that which is evil, be afraid. For he that beareth not the sword in vain. For he is the minister of God, a revenger, to execute wrath upon him that doeth evil. Wherefore, ye must needs be subject not only for wrath, but also for conscience' sake. And so we are to pay our taxes. That's, that's a good thing. It goes on to say this in Romans. That's a right thing that we pay our taxes to the government. We are encouraged to do that. Be honest with what we have to do with the money that God puts into our hand. All these things are good. Where in general, the government are there for our good. That's the purpose of government. But what happens, and this is where we're moving slowly into, and possibly controversial for some, but what happens when the authorities bring in laws or act in a way that is in direct conflict to the head of the church? Where do we get our directive from? The living head. Where do we get our instruction from? The word of God. What happens then, and this has happened all the way through history, when governments then begin to make laws that are contrary to the word of God. Babylon is a type, as I've already said, of a worldly antichrist system. That's what Babylon was. And that's what Babylon is. And in the midst of the Babylonian captivity, you'll know the story well. There was a man, a man of God at that time that were in the midst of a wicked system that were making laws that was contrary to their own convictions. Now, if you turn over for a moment, I'm not going through the whole story because you all know it, but Daniel chapter 6, if you turn right back, we know at this point in the midst of that Babylonian captivity, God's people have been taken out and brought into a place under a different regime. 
God's purpose was for his people to serve him. But through their rebellion and sin, that captivity had come, brought them into that Babylonian captivity. In the midst of that, there was a remnant, a remnant of God's people that would honor him. But that wasn't good enough. In this sense that the people, the Babylonians, looked upon these men that would not partake of that world. And they wanted in some way to entrap them, to cause them to forsake their God. There was an agenda behind the scenes. That's what I'm saying tonight. And there is an agenda. This is not a conspiracy theory tonight. This is the prophetic uh, warnings of Scripture that will happen in the last days with the spirit of Antichrist that is increasing at a rapid rate. We have warned, we have preached, we have heard over these last 20 or 30 years of these days coming, and now they have come. And so we see, just like them, that they set, in other words, a law, put in practice a law against God's people, and in particular, this man, Daniel. Now, Daniel chapter 6, verse 9. You remember the whole story, but we'll not go through it, but just simply it says there in verse 9, Wherefore, King Darius signed the writing and the decree. In other words, it came to the point that the law was put into practice. And that law was that you were not allowed to pray to any other god save this one, that Babylonian system. Now in verse 10, look at this. Now when Daniel knew that the writing was signed, what did he do? He went into his house and his windows being open in his chamber towards Jerusalem. He kneeled upon his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God. And I love just these four last words as he did aforetime. In other words, he's just going to serve God no matter what. Whatever comes or whatever goes. Whatever laws are made or whatever laws are not made, whatever influences come, whatever agendas seem to come to the fore, listen, people of God, we're just going to serve God like we have always served God. It doesn't change anything for us. Why? Because our directive is not so much what's happening in number 10 or up at the folks in the hill or over in the White House. Our directive comes from our living head and God's word. We're believers and we believe in the word of God. So Daniel, the law is passed. What did he do? He gets on his knees in his house and they said, you're not allowed to pray to your God. What's he going to do? I'm going to pray to my God anyway. And he opens the windows and prays just like he's always done. Just like he's always did. That's where he prayed. We know in the scripture there are times and in church history that when the influences of that world, that Babylonian system comes, that it causes people not to make a stand in a maverick style, but simply to carry on doing what they've always done. Are they going to stop us loving Jesus? Are they going to stop us praying? Are they going to stop us preaching the gospel? Are they going to stop us singing? Are they going to stop us assembling together? This is what we've always done, and this is what we'll always do. But what happens, Tim, if they close the building? We will still do it anyway, because that's who we are. 
We don't start doing it because they bring the laws in. This is what we have always done and this is what we'll always do. We will serve our God. And so whatever happens, remember the church is not the building. The church is the people of God. So if we have to meet in Tullymore Forest, we'll meet in Tullymore Forest, but we'll do what we've always done. We'll sing the songs of Zion. We'll praise the living God. We'll pray unto God. We'll meet together anyway and praise God. They can't stop us. It's simple, friends. It's not the building. You see, society has made church the building, but the church are the people. This is what we've always been. This is what we're always going to be. We love Jesus and we'll serve Jesus. And so we see it again. If you turn over into Mark chapter 16. Mark chapter 16 and verse 15. The great commission. When the Lord Jesus Christ gave the commission to the church of Jesus Christ. And said this is what I'm instructing you to do until I come again. And he said unto them Mark 16. And verse 15, go ye into all the world, preach the gospel. What did Jesus say? Preach the gospel to every creature. We have a gospel that must be preached to every creature in this world. It's still the commission for the church. It's a commandment of the Lord Jesus Christ. Every believer should be engaged in the great commission of preaching the gospel to every creature. Highways, byways, shopping centers, car parks, street corners, wherever we may be, we have a duty to share the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Do you love to share the gospel? Do you love to tell people about Jesus? Are you a soul winner for the Lord? And we're all called to the commission, not just some, but everyone's called to share the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. How will they hear if there's not a preacher? Someone has to tell them. And brothers and sisters, there's divine opportunities all around us if we're willing to be led of the Lord. So in verse 20, it says these words, Jesus said, go. Verse 20 of the same chapter, what does it say? And they went forth. And preached, what does it say? Everywhere. I'm called to everywhere. Everywhere I go, we must tell them about Jesus. This is where I'm called. Where is everywhere? Everywhere is everywhere. We're called to preach the gospel everywhere. The Lord was working with them. He confirmed the word with signs following. Amen. Now if you turn over into the book of Acts. You'll find as, the, as God was moving mightily amongst the people, power of the Holy Spirit had come. They continued on preaching the gospel everywhere they went. We read the story of Peter and John going to the temple to pray. We see the great commotion that took place as this man was wonderfully healed. And then the authorities were greatly displeased at what was taking place. And they call and take Peter and John, bring them before the council, Acts chapter 5 and verse 28. And this is what the council ordered them on that day, Acts 5 and 28. Did not we straightly command you that you should not teach in this name? And behold, you have filled Jerusalem with your doctrine, praise God, and intend to bring this man's blood upon us. Then Peter and the other apostles answered and said, what did they say? We ought 
to obey God rather than men. Why? Because their living head was Jesus Christ. They were taking their directive from him and from him alone. Now in verse 40 we see, just going through it quickly, but down to verse 40, it says, And when they had called the apostles, they beat them. And then look what it says, And they commanded that they should not speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. Here was an order from the council at that time. You know, I've said it often, that council was a supreme council of 70 leaders, intellectually, politically, and religious of that world. Pharisees, Sadducees, and scribes made up that great council, and they ordered them, and they instructed them, that they commanded them not to speak in the name of Jesus, and let them go. Now what did they do? Verse 41, And they departed from the presence of the council, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer shame for his name. And daily in the temple and in every house, they ceased not to teach and preach Jesus Christ. Praise the Lord. Isn't that lovely? It's not that they were trying to be lawbreakers. It's simply they had a passion. They had a love for Jesus. They had a desire to share the gospel of Jesus Christ and authorities, religious authorities, and the agenda behind all these systems is against the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. What a day it was when they discount, they counted it worthy to suffer for the name of the Lord and being instructed, the law being set, just like Daniel. What did they do? They just went out the house to house and they talked about Jesus anyway. You see, they're believers. They believed. They're true believers. They believed in this. It wasn't a Sunday meeting. It wasn't going to church on a Sunday morning. It wasn't a theater. It wasn't a show. It wasn't entertainment. It wasn't any of those things. It wasn't just an organization. It wasn't just a social gathering. It wasn't just a feel-good factor. This was the body of Christ. This was what they understood it to be. This is what God sees it as, and that's how they seen it. That's why today, friends, so many aren't so concerned if the church is closed forever. Because it makes no difference to them. But it makes a difference to us because we believe in this. Not the building. We believe in the gathering of the people of the Lord. So as people, are we, are we to be wise? Of course. Am I trying to dilute this? Not at all. We're living in a, a real hour, a real day. There is many things that are taking place. We understand the whole thing that's taking place at this time. Should, should people who, who are unwell or vulnerable, should they be wise with their health? Of course they should be wise with their health. It's ridiculous to think that we would be foolish about these things. Is there a real COVID? Yes, there is a COVID-19. It's not a conspiracy. There's a real virus. But like any other illness that have you had, and we're prone in this fellowship when there's a bug going about, we like to share it with each other. What we, what we, what we normally do is you stay in the house for a couple of days. Is that wise? And so we treat these things with wisdom. But friends, we're not going to live in the fear of man. The agenda and the disproportion of, of attack and, and the agenda behind it to close us all down. To shut it down, no singing, no praying, no meeting together. Some people might be happy with that, but friends, the church of Jesus Christ must assemble. 
It must meet together. I want to show you what the agenda looks like. This is a spiritual agenda, not the physical. Remember our kingdom, my kingdom, Jesus said, is none of this world. But what is the agenda of the Antichrist? And what does it look like when he's finished? I want to show you what it looks like in Scripture. If you turn over to a well-known Scripture, Ezekiel, Ezekiel chapter 37. And this is so well-known, we often, it's a very precious chapter And we know that in Scripture that it is specifically a prophecy concerning Israel. We know that. But we also know that it is absolutely relevant to the church and the people of faith in all ages. In Ezekiel chapter 37 and verse 1, it reads, The hand of the Lord was upon me, and he carried me out in the spirit of the Lord, set me down in the midst of the valley which was full of bones, and caused me to pass round about. And behold, there were very many in an open valley, and lo, they were very dry. Now I just want to stop you there, because I want you to see this picture of this valley full of bones. And this these bones have become dry. They have no flesh, have no sinews, no ligaments, nothing. And they are dismembered. They're scattered across the valley. Now if you stand and look at that for a moment. Before we go forward. Actually what I want you to do is go back. Back from Ezekiel chapter 37. Because what this is a sign of what this is. If you find bones. Then you know that somebody was once alive. If you find a pile of bones. Some them bones once had flesh. It was once a body, it once had breath, it once had life, it once walked, it once talked, it once breathed. This was once a mighty army. So before Ezekiel 37, we see this was once a living, vibrant army of God on its feet, marching across the land with the victory of Christ in their heart, with the fire and with the blood and with the banner of Jesus. And now what we find it is, A dead, broken, dismembered valley full of bones that are very dry. But thank God, God wants us to see something in this. See, this is the agenda. This is the agenda. What happened here? Something has caused death. The Bible tells us sin when it is finished causes death. What has caused the death to come to so many denominations and great Uh, Christian organizations that you read of their fathers that birthed them and the life that they lived and the fire that was in them and the power that they had and, and the testimonies of how they impacted a world. And now we see them today no more than social organizations void of the life of God. What has happened? The Bible says sin when it is finished it brings forth death. Death has come. And and there's been a decay and a dismembering of that which was once vibrant and alive. The decay that has come. You talk about some of these great organizations. And friends, it would pain you. But if you go back to their founders, whether it be Wesley of the Methodist Church, whether it be Booth of the Salvation Army, these great men and women of God that, that birthed these organizations but lived in the reality, the power and the fire of the Spirit of God. And today... We're closing it down. When the world needs the gospel, 
when more than ever the people are in need to hear the good news. More than ever there's a cry in our, in our nation, in our towns, and in our villages that people need Jesus. And now we're closing. You see, you must remember this was once something that was vibrant, living, a powerful army. But the spirit of the age with the purpose and the intent is to divide, dismember, and bring death. Remember, he comes but for to steal, to kill, and destroy. And the dryness that has come, the dryness is in the valley. Dryness is caused by the spirit of rebellion. That's how dryness comes. Psalm 68 and verse 6 says, God, look at this. Psalm 68 and 6 says these words, God setteth the solitary in families. He brings us into a family, but the agenda is to divide the family. God sets the solitary in family. Then he says these words, He bringeth out those which are bound with chains. Praise God, are your chains, are your chains broken? Have you been set free? Has Jesus liberated you? He's brought you out and he's brought you in. But then he says these words, Psalm 68 and verse 6, But the rebellious dwell, where do they dwell? In a dry land. You hear it often, it's dry. I tell you what dryness has been caused by the spirit of rebellion. The rebellion against God. That's why the dryness has come, even amongst the broader church family. And so we see the working of the Spirit, the Spirit of division, knowing that God always blessed when the brethren dwell, dwell together in unity. I know it might seem for some easier to be united, to sitting in all our living rooms separated, but God wants us to be together because there He blesses and there He commands His blessing. It is the intent of the Spirit of the age to dismember the body of Christ, to break it, to divide it, to cause it to turn away, to cause it to, 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 to be isolated. That is the work of the Spirit of the age. It is God's purpose to bring together with Christ being the living head, with the life and the power of the Holy Spirit flowing through and the demonstration of love amongst the brethren. That's what we're supposed to be. But here the, the prophet stands in a valley. I'll close with this, friends, as we come to prayer. In Jeremiah 30 and verse 17, we read there of a God who's a great restorer. We read here of a God who's a great healer of the wounds. We read here of a God that even though we might be called an outcast and no one seeks after, that God would draw his people back again because he is the God that restores. Jeremiah 30 and 17, he says, I will restore health unto thee. I will heal thee of thy wounds, saith the Lord, because they call thee an outcast, saying, This is Zion, whom no man seeketh after. But I want to tell you, friends, it's not for the honor of a church name, and it's not for the honor of a minister's name, and it's not for the honor of anybody's name, but it's for the honor of the name of Jesus Christ that he'll draw and call his people again. He's coming for this bride. If we see the day approaching, we're to meet not the less, but what's he saying? Actually, we should be meeting more. But we've got this whole agenda. Oh, friends, listen. He is our living head.
He's the restorer of the joy of our salvations. He's the restorer of the, of the plans and the purposes of God that perhaps for some may lie in tatters. He's a restorer to the first love. He's a restorer of my health. He's a restorer of a loved one or a prodigal. He's a restorer of our strength that we would mount up with wings as eagles. He is the great restorer. And the Lord says to the man, the prophet of the Lord, son of man, can, can these bones, can they live? I'm asking you, friends, as we're coming to prayer tonight, I'm asking you the same question that the Lord asked the prophet all those years ago. Can these bones live? Can they live? Can they live, friend? I want to tell you tonight, I believe there's a people here, and in our hearts we know of a surety, these bones can live. I tell you, these bones can live. Not because... We're going to beat our chest and be strong in our own strength. But praise God tonight, they're going to live because he lives. And that life of God and the power of the Holy Spirit, God would give us the wisdom tonight to know, I know it's difficult, workplaces, difficulties, all these things coming through, what you're to do, what you're not to do, where you're to go. I haven't a clue. You couldn't keep up with the regulations. You wouldn't know where to work. You see people walking down streets petrified, don't know what to do, get into the shop. Do you go in? Do you not go in? Do you wear a mask halfway in the cafe and then take it off and then sit down, then put it on, then take... Friends, let me tell you something, friends. My kingdom's not of this world. Listen, they can get us all... Listen, our directive is from him tonight. And let the peace of God that passes understand and fill our souls tonight and fill our minds. Let it rule. That's what the Bible Let it abide and let it rule in our hearts tonight. Because we're just going to do what we've always done. We're going to love Jesus. We're going to meet together. If they say, lock it up, you can't meet. Praise the Lord. Listen. We're not here to do anything or to fight with anyone. There'll be no one lying across the traffic lights that are blocking. We'll not be getting placards. No, friends, we'll not be chaining ourselves to lampposts and making a proof. Listen, friends, I've done all those things. In 1690, I marched up every road in Belfast and back down it again. But praise God, I'm marching to a different beat today. We're marching to Zion. Listen, we're on a completely different world altogether. I'm delivered from all of that. Whatever flag the hoist up at Stormont, well, I'll pray for who's ever in government. But friends, we're going to do what we've always done. We're going to serve Jesus. That's what's important. We're going to just be the people of God. We're not going to fight with anyone. Friends, we're here. We have a spiritual fight in this prayer meeting tonight. You've got to see that, friends. You know, so often being brought up into this part of the world, and for many of you know and understand that what's put into us, what's put into us from an early age, intentionally and unintentionally, is that we are fighting over this patch of six counties. Men give their blood for it, whether they be Roman Catholic men or whether they be Protestant men. They poured their blood out for the cause. As they, But I want to tell you, as David says, there is a cause, but this cause is the gospel. That's what we're a part of. So whatever they do, friends, whatever they say, and whatever happens, and whoever's in the White House, if you're looking to that thinking, if he gets in, we're on a winner. And if you're looking over to number 10 saying, if, I'm going to tell you, friends, we're winning because we're part of the body of Christ. 
We're winning because Jesus is our living head. We're winning because we're saved and washed in the blood of Jesus. We're winning because we're more than conquerors through Christ. We're winning because greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. That's why we win, because of him. And so that's our fight. It's a spiritual one. It's in prayer. That's where it is. And I want to encourage you, friends, get your eyes of all of this. Get your eyes on him. Let's thank him tonight. You remember last week, instructed as we heard from that great preacher, R.T. Kendall. He started every prayer meeting with 15 minutes where people instructed just to give thanks. For the first few weeks, it was silent because they weren't used to giving thanks. Are you, are you ready to give thanks? Just to thank him. I don't know what to pray. You can just thank him. Just begin to thank him for all that he's done. Hasn't he done so much for us? Oh, friend, hasn't he done so much? Really, if we were to take it in turns tonight to count the blessings, we're not getting out of here tonight. We're not getting out. We'll be here this Sunday if everyone took a turn to start thinking about the blessings of the Lord in their life. But let's thank him tonight for who he is. Thank him for all that he's done. This is the gathering of the people of God. It's unique and it's a wonderful thing, but it's God's intention and he's our living head. Let's thank him. We just stand together. Let's just begin in prayer tonight.